You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Hey, hey, hope you're having a great day, a great week, wherever you're at. I'm without my partner in crime, Brandon, today. He had to run off, but we're doing something just a little bit different because the other day I sat down, well, I called in because it's COVID times, and chatted with some new friends, Amy Baldwin and April Lampert over at the Shameless Sex Podcast. Now, you may be familiar with them. If you're not, you're about to become acquainted because we are taking your sex and relationship questions and collaborating to answer some of these. Now, Amy is a sex and relationship coach. April educates people about sexual pleasure, health, and wellness. And it's always interesting to hear other people's perspectives and collaborate. And of course, three minds are much, much better than one. And so that's what we're going to be sharing with you today. Now, before we uh, pull up that that interview, that conversation, I want to shout out Let's Get Checked. If you're looking for any tests in the health field that you can do at home, whether it's uh, fertility tests, thyroid tests, cortisol, kidney, celiac, cholesterol, testosterone, liver, kidney, I said that, <laughs> all of all of these options, check out letsgetchecked.com and please use code Dr. Jess to save 20% at checkout and also make sure they know that you heard about them here on the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. So without further ado, what we're going to do now is launch into the conversation that I had with Amy and April. And here we go. I hope you enjoy it. What we are here to do today is to bring two podcasts together to answer some of your sex questions. Uh, We have some sex questions over here. We get them all the time. God, every day I feel like we get more and more sex questions. Um, And then uh, Jess has some as well for her listeners. And and this is always a wonderful opportunity to learn. Um, Jess, can you just tell for our listeners and your listeners have probably heard this if this part is going on your podcast, uh, just a little bit about how you got to be where you are today? Sure, sure. Yeah. So I was a high school teacher and I had all my students coming to me with all of these issues related to sex and relationships, whether it was abusive relationships or unplanned pregnancy or STIs or folks dealing with sexual assault and sexual shame or a history of sexual abuse. And as a teacher, even with a teach, as a teacher with a background in sex education, I didn't have the tools that I needed to support my students. And so I, what I saw was a sex education system that was lacking. And so I went back to do research to support teachers to deliver greater resources, education, and support for students. So focusing on the topics that are of greatest interest to students in Toronto, because that's where my research was conducted, and that was healthy relationships, HIV, AIDS, and sexual pleasure. So trying to put a discussion of pleasure back into sex education. And that's uh, not exactly what I do today because, of course, I graduated and thought, oh, maybe the school board will hire me as a consultant. And they were like, get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I started speaking and now I mostly speak to audiences, mostly entrepreneurs and executives. And then I do some online work. And of course, I have my podcast, Sex with Dr. Jess, that I hope I host with my hubby, Brandon, who is a civilian, a non-sex <laughs> educator. Yes. It's always yeah. always good bringing the, the civilian perspective. And the partnership piece. Yes. I'm sure you all can bring up some personal experiences too within your relationship. 
uh, to the masses. Is Canada ahead in sex education, ahead of the U.S.? That's a great question. So one thing that we have that's quite different here is that our, our, our education curriculum, whether that be in geography, history, or human development and sexual health, is mandated at the provincial, which is our equivalent of the state level. So, so for example, all over Texas or all over the province of Ontario, everybody receives the same curriculum. Now, of course, the way you deliver curriculum, the way a teacher interprets curriculum is going to vary from, from teacher to teacher, classroom to classroom. However, we don't have the system like in many states where it's really just school boards and in some cases schools making decisions. So it's, it's quite different. Uh, it, it's an exciting time in Ontario where, I, where I'm living, but also a, a frustrating time because we did update our sexual health curriculum. Again, it's actually human development and, and sexual health, part of the health and physical education curriculum. It's not like there's a sex ed class or a sex ed credit. And we updated it to be more inclusive, to be more reflective of the times. But then we we have a terrible, um, our equivalent of a governor, we call it a premier, so our equivalent of a state governor, uh, who came in and rolled that back. So it's a frustrating time, but also an exciting time because we are seeing some changes. And of course, teachers, parents, and students are standing up to the government. When we think about sex education, it's folks who are forced to the margins who lose out in the most significant ways, right? Mm -hmm. We have sex education just talking about a penis going in a vagina, but what about people who have sex in very different ways than that? Or we have sex education talking about reproduction, but what about the piece around pleasure, communication, the nuance of, of healthy relationships and you know managing jealousy and insecurity and all that stuff. And so that's what we're trying to do to make sex education more effective and more inclusive. Mm, oh, yeah. I love that. And yeah, so it's, it's a hard one over here too. And, um, and at, least we have, at least we have the podcast out that, you know, this is a wonderful avenue for people to get their sex education. Anyone and everyone can access it. Ours says- It's not censored quite yet. Yeah, it's not censored, but ours, ours says explicit, but like anyone can listen to it. You know, you could be 15 right. and listen to us. So. But they don't shut you down like Instagram does for yeah. posting- anything that's explicit yes which we're so explicit yeah, we, we say are. fuck balls yeah. <laughs> um all right let's dive into some, some a couple of sex questions uh that we have here there's one um that i think kind of pertains to uh, some of what we're talking about in terms of the education piece um in terms of uh people thinking that bodies should look a certain way um this is specifically about labia labiaplasty um if i'm saying that correctly so this is from an anonymous listener and we can all answer it together but we're really curious about your um perspectives over there um in canada and um, so this question is it says i have always struggled with thinking my labia is weird in high school a boy said it looked like roast beef when I got divorced, my ex-husband said some very hurtful things about them as well. After the divorce, I seriously looked into surgery. I eventually met my now fiance and I've started to feel somewhat comfortable. He is so great and has given me so much confidence back and I, that I previously lost. However, I just learned what labial hy hypertrophy is. I had never heard of it, but now I feel like there's something wrong with my body again. It defines types by inches. And according to that, I have type one, one to two centimeters. If everyone is different and has different types and, or sizes, why is there even a name for this issue? And do you have any advice with this? Thoughts? Wow. So I would say first and foremost, um, just because a diagnosis or a name exists for something doesn't mean that something is wrong with you, right? So if we look at the history of diagnoses, uh, there are many diagnoses across the sexual spectrum that we now acknowledge are a healthy part of 
sexual fluidity and sexual identity, right? So we have, for instance, many queer identities being pathologized via psychology, via the medical, I'm going to call it an industry as opposed to just a field. And so, so I want to really clarify. So I'm a PhD, I am not an MD, so I'm not going to talk from a medical perspective, but we have to remember that medical terminology, medical diagnoses, and the same for psychological diagnoses and language are created by human beings and human beings have bias. So if we were just going to take it back to you as a person right now, if your labia are not causing you physical problems and the psychological problems that they're causing are more socio-cultural rooted, then you probably don't need to do anything about your labia. I'm really sorry that you had these, you know, awful people in your life who said these terrible things to you. And I'm going to guess these, uh, these people, whether it's the guy in high school or the ex-husband also said other nasty things, right? Mm -hmm. Other, other nasty things about you as a person, you don't need to change all those things. So I don't think you need to begin by changing your labia. So of course, in porn bodies look fairly one dimensional, right? Like all the, the boobs tend to be perfectly round and perfectly even, and the penis stands straight up. And the butts are really perky. And similarly, the labia are really small. And these are often either anatomical anomalies or they're filtering out other types of bodies. But labia come in all shapes and sizes. And I wish we could do more to love ours. So I know that, you know, there is this thing that you can read about online called labial hypertrophy. I I don't know if hypertrophy, not sure if I'm saying it right either. Um, But if, if it's not causing problems for you, I wouldn't, I would just learn to love it, spend more time touching it, looking at it, you know, tasting it, smelling it, letting your partner admire it. Now, I will say that there are some people who have had problems with the size of their labia. Like I did have a client who um, found that it got in the way of her clothing, found that she even had trouble having intercourse because the inner lips would almost get pushed in because they, they hung low. And she was really happy with the results of, of actually having some surgery. I would say she is one in like, you know, 10,000 that I've spoken to. And that's an anecdotal number, not real data or anything like that. Um, many people have worked down, down there. And I see, hear many more stories from people who are adversely affected, right? You're not going to believe this. I had a plastic surgeon email me and say, oh, I performed this labioplasty and I removed part of the labia and part of the clitoral hood. And now this patient is complaining that they can no longer have an orgasm. But can you please explain to her that I didn't touch her clitoris? And I'm like, dude, you touched her clitoral hood. Yeah. That is part That's and part parcel of, of the clitoris. Yeah, that oh is God. our foreskin. And when we rub on that hood, it rubs on the internal cord or erectile tissue yeah. that we also call a shaft of the clitoris. So when we rub on that area... It helps to get us off. It's why rubbing and grinding and humping furniture and humping your partner's leg and, Mm -hmm. you know, grinding on top instead of bouncing up and down like a porn star feels so good. So I would just say that um, I hope you're not, I hope that you can work through this regardless of whether it's with your fiance or just with yourself. If it's not causing you physical problems, um, really let's get over all of the nonsense that is sold to us, you know, in a world that profits from us hating our bodies and sells us hate of our bodies. It's a revolutionary act just to like your body. And I wish we could spend more time on that. Does Mm -hmm. that 
makes sense. I totally. mean, that's a lot more to say. That's the best advice, I yeah. think. Just getting a mirror and actually working with what you look like. I, I I mean, I've struggled with that because I actually have a labia tear. And so there was a lot of swelling and, and pain involved in sex for a long time. And from the age of 18, that, that happened. And it took me a long time to actually love the scar and to love my, my vulva again. And we just watched both Amy and I separately watched the goop lab with uh, Betty Dodson and, oh, yeah, and, her, and her work on Netflix. And uh, she's all about just embracing your vulva. It's, it's yours. It's like your fingerprint. And they so, showed all these different vulvas on there on yeah. Netflix. They did a, an I orgasm. Don't know, yeah. All these different, all these different shots of the diversity of vulvas and labia and clitor and all the different color shapes, sizes. So I would say also for this listener, go and don't look at, don't look at porn to see, to see the diversity of, of vulvas. Go look at something like that, that episode um, on, on Netflix. It's on, it's Google called Google Lab. Mm-hmm. Or OMG Yes too is the online program that we talk about on our podcast all the time, which is educational um, and informative and it's all about how to learn how to pleasure your body there's two different seasons there's internal and external pleasure um, and they show the diversity of labia of vulvas of clitorises clitori clitority clitori what is the word for multiple there's like a specific <laughs> word that i never get correct it's not clitorises yeah it's cl- clitoris cl- i forgot who said it wednesday martin but yes. um but yeah that's the part is a lot of people are just unfamiliar and then you have someone that shames you and tells you there's something Ugh. wrong with you and it's that's just you they're just trying to help make you fit into some you know, cultural norm. And also because they don't, they're uneducated or they're uncomfortable or they're, you know, they're putting their whole um, nonsense about how they think the world should work on you. And that's just not fair. Who was it? Was it Oliver Wilde? I think that said something to the effect of the greatest romance you'll ever have in your life is the one that you have with yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's so true. Fall in love with yourself, every part of yourself, love it. And then you'll find that you'll get love back. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And and sex plays a big role in this. The more your body kind of performs for you and gives to you and the more you enjoy it, the more you'll come to love it. We find this like, you know, if you don't like your stomach, but then all of a sudden you, you, when you don't like your stomach, for example, you don't let anybody touch it. You never touch it. You never look at it. But then all of a sudden, when you allow yourself to derive pleasure from it, you start to see it in a different light. And I use the stomach as an example, because that's another area where I think we feel a lot of shame. Yeah. I would walk around holding our tummies in, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think, uh, I hope you get to touch yourself more yeah. and enjoy it more and really not worry about uh, these jerks in your past because this is on them. They're, they're probably very uncomfortable with their own penises or their own lives or their own balls or their buttholes or whatever it is. They, they're hangups with their body. Let them own that and you own learning to like yours. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say too, is that it sounds like they have a really great opportunity with their current partner. Who's now wonderful. It's, I don't, I'm curious if they've, this listener has actually shared with their current partner, their insecurities and their past trauma and shame with people shaming them. Um, and to maybe make an opportunity for inviting their current partner to tell them, you know, maybe more often you can tell me how beautiful my pussy is and you know, how you love the taste and the smell and they can work together with that, of course, authentically. Um, and cause sometimes we also have nourishment barriers, you know, it can be hard to take things in. So, and also to practice taking that in every time your partner tells you that your pussy is, you know, beautiful or that they love to, you know, taste it and, and touch it and pleasure, yeah, you know, pleasure you to really take a moment to let that sink in because um, it sounds like in the past it was, you got the opposite. Um, so yeah, good luck to you. Yeah. And you're not alone. <laughs> a lot of people I love about this. Dr. Jess's advice. Yeah. I think that's nailed it. Yeah. You're awesome. Nailed Jess. It. All right. Are you, yeah, so- and I, everything you're saying makes sense. So much sense mm-hmm. to me too. I love that. Like telling your partner to reinforce it. Obviously mm-hmm. it's not your partner's job to make no. you love your body. Yeah. You've got to arrive there loving it, but they should never, 
ever be detracting from that, either, you know, on purpose or inadvertently. So more power in that. Uh, I think we tend to be kind of silent in sex. Like we don't say, oh, this feels so good. Like we're we're a silent culture in the West, Mm -hmm. right? When we eat, we're supposed to eat quietly. We're not supposed to make any noise. And so we stifle every form of pleasurable expression. And so that, you know, comes out in the bedroom too. So let them know it is not rude to talk with your mouth full, like get down there and talk with your mouth full. Yep. We live in little tiny boxes, little boxes, get out of of that box. Will you answer another sex question for us? I would love to. Oh, good. This one is um, from another anonymous listener. So I am a cisgendered heterosexual male in my 30s. I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Beginning at around the age of two, both my biological father and brother engaged in sexual behavior with me. Over a period of 10 years, my dad began to stop the behavior, but my brother escalated to frequently raping me. I've been in therapy for years and continue to deal with a lot of sexual shame, self-hatred, fear of physical intimacy, and somatic trauma. Erection and ejaculation is usually really painful as I have a lot of trouble relaxing myself. I get migraines and have even experienced dissociative seizures during past consensual sex experiences. I recently began dating someone. It's been 13 years since I have considered going out with someone. I don't know how to talk to her and she's been making it clear that she is interested in having sex with me. I'm terrified. But yet, I also really like her and genuinely want to experience sexual intimacy. I have a great therapist who has been wonderful at helping me heal. But when it comes to this kind of stuff, it's really not her field of expertise. What do you think is a good way to let my new SO know my story? And are there things we can do to make sex less threatening for me? Ah, that's a, that's, thank you so much for the courage for writing us listener. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you for sharing your story. I think I know how this can be very difficult and I really admire the way you express yourself emotionally. It sounds like you really cultivated a degree of emotional expression and literacy that is going to lay the groundwork Mm -hmm. for healthy relationships. I think that is far more important than any sex technique or any amount of sexual experience or any other kind of finesse that you have in the bedroom, the capacity to express yourself um, with vulnerability and with that emotional openness is going to carry you so far. Um, First and foremost, uh, I, I think it's important that you talk to your partner before you proceed with sex and also open your mind to different types of sexual experiences to begin with. So we, again, when we think about heterosis sex, we think about a penis going in a vagina um, or something going in some sort of an orifice. And sex can be so much more than that. So if we start with the conversation, I think that a, a good place to start is to ask your partner what they're interested in, what makes them comfortable, what arouses them, what brings them pleasure, and ask them about their own experiences. Like where, I have this questionnaire um, on sexual values that I often share with, with couples and with groups where it begins with, you know, what does sex mean to you? Because sex is celebrated in our culture as this thing that is supposed to be amazing all the time and it's so good and we should all enjoy it. But the reality is, if you've experienced trauma, 
sex may not be experienced as something positive and that's your reality. That doesn't mean that through therapy and through, you know, your own work, you can't learn to experience sex as something pleasurable, but it isn't your baseline. It isn't your default. And that's an important message to convey to your new significant other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would begin by asking them, you know, what does sex mean to you? What were some of the messages that you were raised with? Um, which of these messages do you want to retain? Which of these messages do you want to discard? Are there, you know, often I start with, are there intergenerational norms that you want to rework for yourself? And then this gives you an opportunity to share your story as well. So I have a sexual values questionnaire that I'll send to you and we'll post if you wanted to go through it. It is not specifically um, focused on trauma, but it might be a place to start for questions to even consider for yourself first and then bring to your partner. And you can say, you know, I was listening to this podcast and they shared this tool with us and I have some challenges around sex I want to talk to uh, talk to you about. And you can say, you know, I'm interested in an intimate relationship. I'm interested perhaps in a sexual relationship, but first we have to have this conversation. And I think, you know, if you have a supportive partner, they're going to be very open to hearing this, especially the way you communicate with such honesty and vulnerability. So that's the first part, you know, can you set, set some time aside for the conversation Can you both open your minds to the fact that sex can be experienced in so many different ways? Like you you can experience sexual pleasure, kissing and hugging and snuggling and, and, and touching if you're ready for that. And there's no reason why one experience has to escalate to another experience. I think sometimes we avoid all affection and all intimate touch or even all sexual and erotic touch because we are afraid that it's going to lead to one thing or another. When in fact, thank goodness in 2020, we're talking about consent at every stage in the process. Um, so, and then, and then thirdly, I would encourage you to think about how you experience pleasure in all forms. What are all the different types of pleasure you embrace, whether it's food or drink or art or other types of awe in nature? Um, Because perhaps you're working through this with your therapist uh, already, but if you're not, I think it's really important to embrace enjoying the physical sensations in your body and how they connect to the psychological, emotional, and of course, the psychogenic reactions that occur when somebody touches you. So I, I mean, I, I hope this helps a little. It's a very big question. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm happy you have a therapist to support you. You might also consider speaking to a trauma-informed um, sex therapist as well. And we can put out some links for you in that, uh, you know, in that regard. Because if this therapist does, isn't prepared to talk about sex, I, I acknowledge and appreciate that they've set that boundary. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, sex, of course, doesn't occur in a vacuum. Yeah. And so if you're talking about relationships, if you're talking about communication, if you're talking about emotional connection, um, you may also want to talk about sex. Yeah, that was something I thought about too, is that, that to have maybe a secondary therapist of some sort who is more really geared towards sexuality because a lot of, what is it like, they'd only need 10 hours of training in a lot of the um, therapeutic, the, the psychological, whatever institutions, right? It's not something that is a, uh, that they go into um, in depth in a lot of the trainings. And um, something else, so I did the um, a Hakomi training. It was a two, two-year holistic psychotherapy training. We talk about the window of tolerance in there and that you hang out in the window 
window of tolerance when you're resourced, you can be in your body, you can be connected to yourself or into others. And you go outside the window of tolerance when you're either in like panic mode or a disassociative mode of some sort where you kind of like numb out and you're leaving your body as a trauma response to try to help you. It's actually your body's brilliant. Um, and so kind of adding on to what you were saying, Jess, is with your new partner, when you actually do start to touch to um, create uh, boundaries where you're allowed to, to, you're going really, really slow and it's maybe practicing speaking, not even touching genitals, maybe not making it sexual, like hands and arms and things and noticing maybe like adding a number system of when, you know, a 10 is like panic, you know, okay, I'm at a, I'm at a four or five. Okay. We're at a six. We need to stop what we're doing. Um, and to see what it feels like when your body gets more activated and when, or when you start to dissociate and to really play with, um, getting a greater understanding of when your body shifts and what you need in those moments. Do you need a hug? Do you need to just take some deep breaths? Do you need personal space? Do you need to phone a friend? You know, so, um, starting to explore that and, what ideas to kind of keep you in the window of tolerance while you're um, in uh, sensual or sexual uh, settings, and it will it'll be a, a, a practice, and to start that practice outside of it being just you know sexual. Two things I wanted to add too that came up when um, both of you are talking. I love all of that. Is doing some. Uh, I don't know if this we've talked about EMDR mm-hmm. therapy before, and that's for folks that have experienced a lot of trauma and also cranial sacral, which is the trauma that gets stuck in the body. So it's more of a holistic approach, but it is very successful. Uh, and look it up. If you have a, a cranial sacral worker that they have to be specific and they can actually help you move through, it's going to be a, a, a process because this is severe trauma. I mean, obviously it's going to be stuck. It's from childhood. And, uh, I would recommend just really, uh, taking, a an approach from all angles, from the, from the brain to the body, because trauma can get stuck. And um, this is a heavy situation. And hopefully there are people out there that will be able to help you that have more expertise in the therapist now in that specific field, because you're going to have to talk to someone that, that really knows how to work through that. So yeah, that's, uh, yeah. My heart goes out to this listener so much. Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you for sharing because I'm sure there are other people Obviously, there are many people with similar stories, and it is. It's it's work, and it's a process, and it's obviously never a quick fix. And even when you think that, you know, maybe you've overcome one piece, you're always moving through it, right? So you might, for example, work really slowly through different types of touch and mindful touch and meditative touch, and then eventually you might have an experience that feels sexual, and you might have many experiences that feel sexual and go really well, and then months, years later, you could have one that, that feels traumatic, that feels triggering. And sometimes you'll be able to acknowledge or recognize your triggers and other times you won't, but it's, it's not a linear process. And I don't ever want you to feel like it's a, a step back if you're, if you're struggling yet again. Like, I think sometimes we think when we're healing from anything, including trauma, that like we're ascending a hill when in fact, it's always, you know, many, kind of hills and valleys and bumps in the road. I love that. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's not linear and it's not a switch. You can't just unfortunately just switch and turn it off. It's there. And you just have to learn how to have the tools to work through it. And it's really going to be an all encompassing approach. Jess, we understand that you have some questions uh, from your listeners as well. So we'd love to hear your questions and your answers and maybe we can help to contribute in that as well. So what you, what you got for us? Awesome. So uh, I have one from a listener who says, I was watching your YouTube videos, listening to the podcast, 
found them interesting. Since I'm visually impaired, almost blind, I was wondering what to do about a problem I have. Since eye contact is very important and sexual attraction, what do I do instead of it? It's difficult to create attraction if I can't gaze into someone or read their eyes. Do you have any advice on this? Can you point me in the right direction? Mm-hmm. But yeah, one of so one of my thoughts, I mean, you have all these different senses. And actually, I always I think of like sensory deprivation and how when we take away one of the senses that it heightens these other ones. And we put so much emphasis on, I think, on our vision um, and what we see. And I, and I love all these different models for sexuality, like right sexuality, right? Like for me, when I see a naked body, that's not what gets me going. What gets me going is the words that are said and the type of touch and the energy there, because I'm an energetic person in terms of that, how that works for me. Um, and so the, the visual part isn't really, for me, necessarily a top priority. So you have all these other things that, you know, you're hearing your sense of smell, your taste, the touch of your skin and someone else's skin. And um, so exploring something more, and they're talking about uh, kind of, it seems like more of the initial phases though of attraction and, um, and connection there too. Um, and so I would think in there, maybe touch isn't the part of that because that's like, you know, later part of the negotiation, but you know, really the, the he- hearing their, their voice and their tones of what, how this person speaks to you and sounds and how that resonates in your body. Um, I think that the, can be a really powerful thing. Your re- hearing is a really big thing for you in terms of, yes. you look very auditory. I am. I love, I could take away, close my eyes and just listen to the, the sounds of a sexual experience. And I love that. And what I ca- what came up for me with this particular question was number one, speaking, using what, how, what, what, talking about what you're experiencing that you're not seeing. So I smell your, your, I don't know, your scent or you wear, you smells like Palo Santo. And, <laughs> and I feel, and, and maybe also part? talking Is about that? if you are touching, uh, can I touch your face? And then just, wow, your skin feels so mm. silky or so, so rough, whatever it feels like, talk about that. And then what's happening within your body. Mm. I'm getting a tingling sensation in my genitals or in my fingertips or wherever that's what, wherever it's happening. And that can be really hot. Mm. Also, if the other person that's involved in the experience isn't visually impaired, maybe they could be blindfolded and you both could Ooh, share the experiences together of what they have Brilliant. going on inside of their mind um, and, and with their senses. So, and then if you want to incorporate touch, talk about that. Uh, but you can have it like this experiential sort of thing that is fun and not so much pressure with the eye gazing because mm-hmm. eye gazing can also get awkward. I am mm-hmm. really uh, uncomfortable sometimes when there's deep eye gazing. I have to be prepared for that. So you don't necessarily need it to be mm-hmm. turned on or, or put out the, you know, the, the fires can still be lit. I think you, you and I are born on the same sexual cloud because I find the eye contact really intimidating. In fact, when I really want to push my boundaries is when I will look at my partner in the eye during sex, for example. And I mean, we're we're close, we're comfortable, we've been together like 19 years. Um, but that eye contact is so intense. Whereas the voice, the voice is so relaxing, so soothing, like it just sucks me in. And when I think of all, particularly with men, not as much with women for me, but with when I think of the men I'm attracted to, they all have something in common in their voice. Like there's a certain tone. So I think about, let's say you're friends with someone or you are your acquaintances with someone and you're trying to move it into a more romantic direction. I think even just changing 
the tone of your voice. Like I have so many tones of my voice that I use for different things. And this is like my natural voice right now. It's kind of like young and high and not very sexy, apparently. <laughs> but I, I shift my voice depending on the message mm-hmm. I'm trying to send. And I feel that so much more powerful than just eye contact. I know that sex experts always say like, oh, if you want more intimacy, look your partner in the eye. Mm-hmm. And I, I get the value in that. I understand that, you know, we get this boost in oxytocin and hey, it works with your dog too. Do you know mm-hmm. about that? Oh yeah. yeah. Eye contact with dogs. Yeah. Oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. That's why your little dog won't look at you when it, when it wants to disobey you, right? It can't yeah. look you in the eye and disobey. Yeah. So I love that you're bringing this up. And it reminds me of, so I, I wrote a book with Marla Renee Stewart, and mm-hmm. she talks about the seduction learning styles and how your learning style often aligns with how you want to be seduced or in the language of, of this listener, create attraction, right? So if you're a really audio person, if you're a very visual person, and I love the way you also described what you're feeling. I'm not very good at that, but my partner's really good at that and it really gets me going. So I, I love like if using all five senses and really tuning in because mostly we kind of move mindlessly. Like right as I speak, you're not really listening to the tone of my voice, to the energy in my voice. Primarily you're trying to hear what I'm saying in terms of content. But if we shift this up and really tune in like to the other layers of each of these senses, I think it gives you such a deeper, deeper experience and a a different type of, um, as this person says, attraction, but I think about seduction. Mm. It's all about Mm -hmm. presence, right? It is being right in that moment, like a meditation, being in the moment and feeling all the feelings, smelling all the smells, hearing whatever you're hearing. There's so many ways to do it. It isn't just this. I mean, I think of like Tantra, right? Which is wonderful. I I love Tantra and people think of Tantra as, eye gazing oh you're so much eye gazing and breathe with each other there's a lot more to it and it really is that presence and it's using all the body senses as a means towards that awakening and aliveness and deep connection now so you don't have to just do it i love that uh kind of the breath work that you could also breathe with your partner. Oh, yeah, you don't like have circular, to see them. Yeah, right. You yeah. can kind of feel their chest yeah. or uh, their heartbeat mm-hmm. that's very deep yeah I love the one with the blindfold that you said. That was so brilliant. Oh. Good job. Oh, thank <laughs> that's you. so yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's research that, sh- that shows that our bodily functions get in sync with one another mm-hmm. when we become in sync, right? Like your heartbeat sinks, your breath rate sinks. And so there are all these different ways. It's not like our blinking rate sinks. God, my yeah. husband could never keep up because I blink every two seconds. <laughs> uh, so, so, but those other things you can still be really in tune with. So, I mean, I think it's really important to know that there's no deficit here. And in, in fact, as you said, it can be more, it can be enhanced. It's yeah. called mirroring. I just learned about yeah. this actually, Dr. Jess, it's called mirroring and it's biological. The humans do it when they spend a lot of time with each other. Mm-hmm. They sync up. You start, Amy and I do it. Sometimes she'll cross her legs and I'll look and I'm like, oh my God, we're sitting the exact same way right now with our hands yeah. like in between our, our uh, legs. It's funny. So yeah. I love that mirroring. Mm-hmm. And you could do it with us. Uh, you could do it with people, how they speak as well. You can mm-hmm. mirror what they say. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. We use that in business all the time, right? In oh, yeah. terms of sales, they tell you to mirror people's behavior, mirror their language, mirror their tone, mirror their volume. So all, all these different options. I, I think it's so interesting the way we create attraction and, and also it's highly individual, right? Yeah. Like for some people, eye contact is really important and for others. And, and even though, you know, you can still be looking in one another's directions, even if you are blind, right? There are all these different ways. And I'm sure that um, this would be a better question, in fact, for somebody who is blind to share their perspective. So maybe that's yeah. something we can consider for the future because mm-hmm. we, we're we not the experts. We're yeah. just, you know, sharing whatever perspective and insights we have. So mm-hmm. um, a good idea for an upcoming podcast. 
Yeah. So yeah, someone else. Or some if there's other a listener out there, yeah. right, that has anything to suggest. What are your tips? We would tricks? love to hear yeah. what you have to say as well. Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay. So I know that we could do this forever because we have so many questions that we would like to answer and we get them all the time from listeners. And so do you, Jess. And we promise to do this again because... TBD, to be... No, not to be decided. TBC, to be continued. Yeah, to be continued. Um, But again, thank you to all of our listeners and Jess's listeners for asking questions. And Jess, you're fucking awesome. (laughs) And I love a Canadian accent. Yeah. I love a Canadian accent. It warms my heart. Yeah. And you're you talking about? I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's my house. I'm in my house. I'm in my house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, all right. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And that's a wrap. I love hearing the perspectives of other experts in the field, and I hope that you got something out of that too. I know that you'll be checking out the Shameless Sex podcast and continuing to follow along with Amy Baldwin and April Lampert. Be sure to check out letsgetcheck.com if you need any health tests that you can do from home. Use code Dr. Jess at checkout. Next week, I'll be back again. I promise I'm going to get Brandon back here because I miss that guy. I mean, he's here all the time. He's just not here at this moment. So wherever you're at, have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.